What's up, guys? Welcome to the Dabao Podcast. Jada here. In this series, we bring Malaysians all around the world to you. We will have a glimpse of how life is at their side of the world. Um, you got lucky as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so, but my the first thing I'm gonna say is that. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. One interesting news: uh, Hong Kong and Singapore have just reached an agreement on the world's first two-way quarantine-free bubble. Well, personal for me, it's not a surprise given that both cities are the financial hubs in Asia and they have already stabilized the pandemic situation. I'm still waiting for the day when Malaysia will have similar arrangements, but let's be honest, I know that it's not going to happen anytime soon. Let's stay safe at the meantime. What's the first thought that you have when I mention the country, the United States of America? Since I work in the banking field, I think of big tech stock names, Google, Apple, and of course the Silicon Valley, home to many startups. With us in this episode, we have a guest all the way from the states that will share with us about his stories working in both big names and a homegrown startup firm. Let's welcome Amir to the Dabao Podcast. Hi, Amir. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? <laughs> All good. Um, I just woke up. Uh, how was your day? It was good. It was a full day for me. It's evening. Mm-hmm. Um, my my family is actually about to pick me up um, from New York and then drive me back down to Durham um, in North Carolina. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, so I just finished oh. work and everything, starting to pack. Uh- yeah, I, th- I think you briefly told me about that bef- uh, last week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's why this like this <laughs> upcoming weekend is all for family. <laughs> and then <Aww>. the next week. <laughs> all right. Share with us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I mean, my name is Amir. I, uh, I was born actually in the States. So I was born in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, I, my mom immigrated from Malaysia and my dad immigrated from Pakistan. And they got married in the States. Uh, I grew up in San Jose, California. Um, and then I went to school at, in, I went back to North Carolina for school at Duke. Uh, I studied computer science mm-hmm. and Arabic. And uh, now I'm living in New York, working and doing a writing program at the same time. I've never been to the States. So what I know about the country mm-hmm. is like, oh my God, like those American dramas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Big Apple. <laughs> yep, yep. Look. Well, obviously you're an American, but which culture do you associate yourself more to, like personally? Yeah, it's so it's interesting because um, it's it's kind of it's multifaceted, right? I I mainly grew up around my Pakistani relatives because my mm-hmm. mom's side of the family is still in Malaysia. Like my grand my grandparents and um, like my grandparents live in Gombat and like near KL, and um, my uncle um, also lives in KL as well, and. So they're still in Malaysia. My but my dad's side of the family, they all immigrated to the states together. So oh. I, you know, I grew up spending most of the time around, you know, other Pakistani people. But mm. at the same time, because of that, <clears throat> anytime we traveled, we would go to Malaysia because all of our relatives are in Malaysia. So I actually mm. haven't been to Pakistan in a very long time. So I don't actually, I'm not very familiar with Pakistan. So I feel more connected to Malaysia. My Malay is better also because my mom oh. did a better job of teaching me Malay than my dad taught me or do. So, uh, <laughs> but I think I actually mm. identify a little bit more with Malaysian culture because I've been to Malaysia like 
every year, basically. Quick background information. Amir graduated from Duke University. And for those that didn't know, even though Duke is not one of the Ivy Leagues, it's one of the very prestigious unis in those states. So what was your career aspiration like when you were in uni? Or was it like, oh, I'm going to work in tech firms? I, since I partially grew up in California, both of my parents mm-hmm. worked kind of uh, in tech or adjacent to tech. Um, oh, I was kind of exposed to it a little bit. Yeah, I was exposed to it. I, I liked playing video games. I liked being on my computer. So I studied computer science in, in Duke, but I didn't know what I was going to do after college at all. So, you know, that's why mm-hmm. at first I was like my, my other major was math. And then I moved from math. I, I took a really hard class and I said no more math. And then I moved to linguistics and then I took a linguistics class. And so basically, I think my college experience was a lot more about exploration, I think, which mm. was which I think was good. But I also didn't really ask myself what to do, what I would do after graduation. Yeah, I think like university is definitely like a stage for exploration for me as well, because I was like a full science stream student, like uh, mm. in high school. And then when in college, I studied for uh, GCE A-levels. So at that time, I remember retaking uh, like two different intakes because when I was in the first one, like I took maths as well. I took further maths. Mm. It was a disaster. It was so <laughs> difficult. Well, for my advice for those that are going through the same thing, like if if you're well aware that it's not for you, you should just like, you know, try other things when you have the chance to. You're equipping yourself with like very different skills, I would say. And, you know, speaking as someone who jumped around a lot in college, I think mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's actually, I think, a good thing to be able to, you know, dabble and, and dip your, you know, dip your feet into certain things and then also be able to decide, oh, maybe I'll do something mm-hmm. else. So there's actually, it, it, I, I would say there's nothing wrong with switching out. And in fact, it's actually a mm-hmm. good sign generally, because it means that you're actually seriously thinking about what you want to do. So I was surprised that you told me that you were working in Duolingo nowadays because like my boyfriend uses it religiously to learn Mandarin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm actually learning Mandarin on it too, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, right now. <laughs> like, uh, uh, um, how has your experience with the company so far? And also before we proceed, mm-hmm. can you share with us, like, what does Duolingo do? Yeah, yeah. So... I, I just joined Duolingo actually June, like my, in, in June. Um, so Duolingo is a, a language learning company is essentially to make language learning fun and accessible and free. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's an application you essentially do different exercises. You meet like daily goals and there are certain games that you can play to learn uh, any language um, for the most part. Um, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of language courses, like, like you said, Mandarin, there's Spanish, French, um, there's even fake languages like um, playing on and then there's the one I think there's the one from Game of Thrones or is it Lord of the Rings oh that's yeah. interesting um High Valyrian I think that's what it's called mm-hmm. um anyways wow. so that's that's basically the company is is a language learning company it's really interesting because like Duolingo gamifies the whole language learning yeah. process mm-hmm. and craft it like a mission you know like it's a mm-hmm. game you have to complete this task that task and then you be awarded along the journey so I think it's really fun. That's kind of the mission is that if people are having fun, they'll learn more. <laughs> um, but yeah, Duolingo has been, it's been, it's been really good. I think I actually, I, I'm very, very happy working at the company just because, so I think the culture of Duolingo in particular is people are pretty smart. Like it's a, it's a very, mm. um, 
it's a it, it's very high performing like kind of competitive company a lot of people want to basically work at duolingo and and at the same time so people are very smart and they're very competitive at the same time like people are really really nice and i think the biggest thing for me is just being able to work somewhere where i am kind of connected to the end product mm-hmm. not only that do i have impact because it's a smaller company like i'm i'm making changes and i can see it in like the app um but it's also that oh. the changes mm-hmm. themselves are are i'm interested in you know it's like oh like this is a product that i think actually like helps people learn languages duolingo still considered like a startup or no no longer because like mm-hmm. it's, it's been a few years right is yeah. it like, like what's the size of company right now like like roughly of course estimate i think it's around 300 employees right now Ooh. um mm-hmm. yeah a little bit over uh so it's uh, it's still technically a startup um i think the ceo said that duolingo plans to ipo so like go public next year um wow Yeah, so it's 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 close. So soon Duolingo hopefully, you know, depending on COVID and and everything. So we'll see. Of course. <laughs> but uh hopefully Duolingo will be public next year and then it'll be a public company. But right now it's still a startup, but it's a late stage mm-hmm. startup and so I think yeah, to yeah. me personally I I like that because it's still a new company and there's not many people, but it's not as hectic as like if there's 10 people in a company and it just started, you know. Mhm. I think like it's so interesting that you say uh, when you're working in a relatively small company when you do something right it feels like you're making an impact because when i was in singapore uh for an internship that's how i felt as well that's a really interesting part in working in a, in a small tech firm so you started a new job during the pandemic right every yeah. single sector is impacted how was the job hunting process So I I got kind of lucky because I so I I interviewed I started interviewing the BNA of this year because I basically mm. it was it was two things I wanted to go back to New York was the first thing and the second thing was like I think I was ready to try either working in a different company or doing a pro, like a writing program or something. So mm. I was interviewing and I fit, I interviewed on site at Duolingo in mid-March. and i went to see the new york office because i was interviewing for the new york office and this th- literally this was the week before everything shut down so i remember getting back i was in new york and i was going to spend the weekend and then everyone was like oh my god <laughs> like everything's <laughs> like everyone was freaking out and so i i took the next like the next possible train from the amtrak mm-hmm. from new york to dc because i was scared that everything was going to close it was it was hectic i did manage to interview on site but then i had to start everything remotely um because everything mm-hmm. was shut down by that time. One interesting thing that I think you could share is that like a lot of our uh, audiences are actually like um either fresh graduates or are uh, like a few years into working mm-hmm. or even students. Like what are some of the tips that you can share like when you're switching job for the first time? Breath is very important even if you I I I noticed that like the first couple of times I was interviewing at places I interviewed at like a few places like I I put in applications mm-hmm. and I tried pretty hard in my interviews I prepared a lot but I only I only like applied to a few companies and and to me at the time it made sense because I was like I only really want to work at like these companies I wouldn't be that excited about the other companies but then yeah. when I started looking again my second time I I applied to a lot of places. So what I did at the beginning of this year, I literally in in like a week or two, 
I applied to like 60 companies, maybe. I went through like a bunch of listings. So I got, I, when I say I got lucky, like I really mean I got lucky because Duolingo was like mm-hmm. one of the top three companies. Top that I wanted to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I was, I really wanted to work there and I, it was like the one that I was passionate about, but I applied to a lot of mm-hmm. companies that I, I was curious about. I wasn't sure about them. The first thing was like, I was able to practice interviewing because I had a lot of, um, you know, I interviewed with a lot of companies. I talked mm-hmm. to a lot of companies. Um, and the second thing was like, not only was I able to have like a better idea of what the job market was, but I also, if I got a few offers or at least like um, got some uh, ranges for what the salaries would be, I had a much better idea of what my worth was. Get an offer, you can negotiate so much better because you can either say like, oh, I have this another offer. Even if you're not that serious about the offer, you can say, oh, I have this offer and it's this much amount of money. Like, please mm-hmm. give me more. How, knowing that you have backups give you more confidence exactly. to go into, you know, subsequent interviews or like your dream companies, knowing that you can fall back to some other options that you have. Mm-hmm. So you got to do your preparation, guys. I did actually, maybe like a lot of my interview practice was actual interviews, which maybe is not the best <laughs> advice to give, but I, I will say doing interviews is the best practice for doing interviews <laughs> <laughs> you can't pre-practice them you just gotta do it yeah well i you know obviously mm-hmm. i prepared but you know yep. at the same time i think it was very helpful for me to have so many interviews because i i got i got very used to it so by the time i interviewed mm-hmm. for duolingo i'd already interviewed at a lot of other companies i I had a good idea of what people were going to ask me and how to answer questions oh i'm glad they enjoy the company that you're working with right now I'm lucky. <laughs> like I said, I'm lucky. <laughs> yeah. So besides Duolingo, you actually have another big tech firm under your belt. Can you share with us about it? I interned with Google um, mm-hmm. and then I worked at Capital One. So those are the two big companies that I've worked at. Google is such like a landmark company like, in the tech industry, not just in the States, but in the whole wide world. Like, How did you actually land the, the engineering internship with Google? Yeah, um, <laughs> like I said earlier, I got lucky, <laughs> but um, well, you're I, really lucky. <laughs> um, so I'll, you know, I, what happened basically was I applied to a few places, and granted, like you know, I'll, I'll, I will say um, for Google in particular, I had, a, I had a referral, like I knew someone who worked mm-hmm. there, so that mm-hmm. that helped me get my foot in the door. Like I think referrals at Google give you the first interview and my only acceptance was from Google um, and I and it was partially because you know the interviews went well I answered the questions well and you know obviously I had practice and, and I studied and everything um, that's why I'm saying like at the end of the day it is kind of a numbers game like I think mm-hmm. um, I think it's possible if they asked me a different question or if I had a different interview at, interview at Google I wouldn't have gotten the internship and, and likewise if I got different interviewers for other big big tech firms that I would have gotten offers from them so mm-hmm. um, and that's why I'm saying like I you know I got lucky not even in a way that's self-deprecating but I think it's mm-hmm. it's more just like literally the circumstances lined up and I somehow managed to do well in the interviews and um and I got in so you know you just have mm-hmm. to keep trying and a big rule at Google yeah. is like you can apply every six months especially if it's full-time like you can apply every single single time and so apply get rejected apply again when it's okay get rejected apply <laughs> again you know just like however many times you want um i know people who have gotten rejected like maybe like five times from google and then they get an offer like a few years later because they just try again so I, I mm-hmm. so how many times did you try 
I mean, <laughs> for the internship. Uh, just one, was, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, technically. <laughs> but again, I got lucky. I might have needed to try it. <laughs> Were there any competition among the interns? Because I figured out everyone would try to fight for a return offer, right? Internships are actually largely the company trying to sell themselves to you. Um, mm -hmm. As much as, or if not more, than like you trying to get a full-time offer. And so like, obviously, you know, oh, I work really? and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But especially in tech, because there's a lot of talent and there's a lot of competition. A lot of companies, they try to make their internships less stressful and more fun. Um, mm. and, and to do, and, and that's because they want people to return, right? A lot of companies might sign interns with the expectation that they would, that they would convert all of them to full-time. And, but by that, I mean, mm. I wouldn't be surprised. Even for Google? Yeah. I would, basically what I'm saying is I wouldn't be surprised if they had as many slots ready for full-time offers. So they generally will probably prioritize interns first. And, and because of that, I think they don't make interns compete against each other because if every single intern is really, really good, they'll just probably hire them all. A lot of companies hire talents from interns because like they actually see you perform like, instead of like, you trying to like put on, sorry, a show during the, during the interview process or like, you know, because it's such a short period of time, right? So like, did, did you actually get like a return offer? I'm just curious. Yeah. So what happened? <laughs> um, I think I can say this um, because it's well, been a while, and I'm not yeah, salty about lucky. it. Yeah. So what, no, no. What happened was they gave me. They said I I did well in the internship, and they were like, "You can come back." And I was like, "Okay, that's great." Um, and I, you know, I was considering it, but I was interviewing at some other places. And what I so what I told them was I was like, because during my internship, I networked with some people, and I was like, mm -hmm. I want to be on one of these three teams uh, and mm -hmm. there were three teams that were like very hard to get into like one of them was creative lab which like i don't even know software engineering uh <laughs> interns like I, it probably was like wasn't possible what they do with with interns and this is this i think also applies for for offers as well they give you like a certain period of time where you do go through host matching even if you mm -hmm. like you don't get an official offer until a host is able to like basically sponsor you and so my host matching process was from thanksgiving to new year's basically um, oh dear and, um and because of that no one was really looking for interns in like the three weeks that they had from thanksgiving yeah. like you know and and not only that but i asked to be on a few specific teams so like mm -hmm. that you know, reduced my chances even further and so what ended up happening was like no one ended up reaching out to me like I didn't even get the chance to talk to anyone or like interview with any hosts and because of that I didn't end up getting the return offer even though like you know they told me that I'd come back and I was kind of mad about it but um and you know again like whatever 19 year old me was very very sad about it but um you know I figured it out and um I decided it was in some ways it was good for me because I I decided to to pivot um and i wanted i decided to do something more like data engineering and machine learning related mm -hmm. uh, it, it is something i still have a chip on my shoulder about and i still enjoy mm -hmm. my time working at google for sure um and i you know i would, would have returned if i had the option <laughs> i won't lie yeah. <laughs> obviously it's google but it's live right yeah. <laughs> yeah machine learning is like a whole new different game like you having a chance to touch upon that area is just amazing because <laughs> the other day i just like watched something with 
regarding the machine learning where it says like, oh, when a programmer programs it, like they don't really know how it will end up with, right? They just fit them with certain like, I don't know, algorithms. I think when people are like, oh, the AI is going to take a life of its own, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm. That's not really how people do ML right now. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. there are certain cases in which like it's, it's possible if you're like building like some kind of a super mind that has access to like to the military and a bunch of other stuff like mm -hmm. you know that could be risky but most of the time people are doing machine learning projects like it's it's very academic right like people are doing machine learning projects in like literal labs they're they're doing mm -hmm. them like under very specific circumstances they're experimenting yeah. with it there's a lot of math that goes into it and so i actually don't think the those are kind of like just like sci it's mostly sci-fi right um, mm -hmm. for the most part. i don't think that's how like what I'm saying is, unfortunately, the vast majority of machine learning is like kind of boring. <laughs> like it's not, it's not as interesting. Not like what we see in movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that part because, yeah, it's interesting because I'm not in that area of profession. We briefly touched upon like Duke University in the start. Like I've always heard about how tough it is to get admitted to the university um apparently. you got lucky as well <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm <laughs> damn it <laughs> so but my the first thing i'm gonna say is that so my dad um when he when he immigrated to the states he um like he did his but he basically did his phd at duke after doing his undergrad mm. course you really just have to throw yourself out there like you have to you have to apply to a lot of things. You have to do your research. You have to talk to people who are from there or, or read about it, figure out what fits with you. I had a genuine interest in going to Duke because my family was from mm -hmm. North Carolina. My, they, would, they were interested in coming back to North Carolina. Um, mm -hmm. I, I visited Duke already. I kind of felt like some kind of an affinity for it. Like, be honest in your personal statement. Be yourself. Um, and, and like, remember and like ask yourself what you're genuinely interested in. Like, don't chase prestige if that's not something that you want. Never apply to things or, or try to game the system just because you want to get into a prestige mm. university, you know. And like people see interview like, oh, my God, I'm going to go there and see whether they like me or not. But for me, interview is actually like a two way process. They get to know you and you know to get them to see whether the both of the parties are of good fit. Yep, I completely mm -hmm. agree. It's, it's the same thing, right? It's like internships, as well as like interviews mm -hmm. for companies. It's it's all it's also you getting an opportunity for you to feel things out, right? And and it, this goes back to what we were saying earlier is like, if you find out after interviewing for a place, or if you find out after visiting a college, and you're like, actually, I don't know, this is for me, like, do not be afraid to say no and do not be afraid to do something else. People get in this mentality where they're like, oh my God, I really need to get this job, blah, blah, blah. But they don't ask themselves, like, do I actually want it? You this actually job? want it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. How was your like university experience? Any memories from university that stood out from you after graduating for, I, I believe, two years now? Yeah. I've been out for two years, two and a half. Duke was a. Uh, it, it uh it was a mixed bag <laughs> and i think anyone who comes from duke will probably say that um i felt excluded from the social circle especially my first two years because i didn't rush um for like any fraternities or or even any selective living groups um and i i guess for me i felt it, it i felt isolated at times i felt very stressed out and i felt mm. um i felt very um inadequate at certain times i guess overall what I'd say is like, it was tough. It was stressful. It was isolating at times. I also met people that I think 
have changed my life. I met, uh, I learned things and I explored and I basically expanded my brain. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's what I mean by it was mixed bag. But I, to be completely mm-hmm. honest, I think I'm happy that I'm out of Duke. I'm- mm-hmm. Like I remember trying so hard to fit in when I first went to Hong Kong. And mm-hmm. then, because it was new for me, right? It's, it's a new country. It's a, it's a country with new language that I don't know a word about. Mm-hmm. And I remember like crying every single night for two weeks straight because of the language barrier. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I can really relate to it, even though it's like an international city, right? But mm-hmm. when people see you like um, as a Chinese, they kind of expect you to be able to speak yeah. Cantonese. So it was tough for me, like, did you try to do anything to make it better at that point? Like- I, I think I, I think I tried. You know, I, I think I tried to connect <laughs> with people, and and like I said, I think I didn't really know either how to think or or really to socialize when I came to mm. Duke, and and I, you know, I would try getting lunch with people and dinner with people, and I found it hard to keep keep in touch with people. Like I would have good conversations, and then I would mm. feel upset because they would go back to their social life, and I wouldn't feel like I was invited to their social life, and. Um, all I can really say is like, at the end of the day, I think I ended up realizing like, like, I, it's, it's a similar thing to what I was saying is like, I, I think I ended up questioning what I even wanted in the first place. Like, I think, Mm. I think I kept trying to reach out to people. I kept trying to like, kind of become popular. And then at some point I, you know, I went to Jordan, this is like, I basically went to Jordan when I was like the most depressed at Duke. I was like, I need to get Mm -hmm. out of this place. And I spent time on myself and I realized like, oh, like, you know what? Like, I actually don't really need that many friends. (laughs) Like, I don't Mm -hmm. need to talk to I don't need to talk to these people. And I just need to learn how to spend time by myself. And um, Mm -hmm. ideally, I had a a few good friends and I didn't realize that like these were people that I'd much rather just like invest more time in them rather Mm -hmm. than like, jumping around from social scene to social scene and from party to party trying to like meet people and stuff so when I came mm-hmm. back and I think this is also mirrored in my friends I think by the time we hit junior year I think we started to, to realize like oh like you know we don't like what are we even looking for like we have like we have people that we trust and that we like a lot and mm-hmm. like we can just spend time with them <laughs> and, and spend time with the people that like we can get along with and so um, I got, again, like, I'll say I got lucky because I think I met some people spontaneously and I was like, these are people that I think are really great and I'm going to invest a lot of time into them. And mm-hmm. because I wasn't exhausted socially, because I wasn't getting lunch with like three people or like getting <laughs> lunch and dinner with, with different people every single day, when I met someone who was great, I had all the time in the world to give to them, right? And mm, that that's right. And, and, and not only was it, was that the case where I had more time, but because I was more comfortable with myself, I wasn't so mm-hmm. desperate. It is a genuine connection between both sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't project anything onto the, the my relationships. It was more like if I met someone and if there was really genuinely something there, I would invest in it rather than me going and meeting people and trying really hard and not even knowing if we get along mm-hmm. very well, but I'm just lonely. I need someone to like <laughs> spend time with me. And so yeah. it, it's tough. It, it's I all I, I guess all I'll say is like it's a catch twenty two. Like when 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 your social life isn't working, it's just not working. Nothing will work. And mm-hmm. the only thing that helps for me is just learning how to be with myself better. And then once I'm more mm-hmm. comfortable with myself, my social life just starts to fall into place. It's- I think a big part of adulting is realizing that you don't need 
that many friends, you know, quality over quantity, because it's really exhausting when you try to project yourself in a certain way, <laughs> when you're around with people that you're just trying to impress, yeah. instead of like, you know, that they will be willing to accept you for who you actually are. But for the mm. people that I know that I'm close with, I know that they will be there for me no matter what happens. It you and them time and energy if you just kind of be yourself and if you don't try too hard to um, be everyone's friend. What's your advice for those that are going through similar things? I can't really understate how frustrating it is. And, e mm -hmm. and there's applies to advice. Like when I was lonely, like I would look for so many strategies about like, how do I make friends? How do I do this? I would ask people and it and nothing really worked. And, and so like... My thing is like, yeah, like at some point, I think you have to spend time with yourself. You have to like reset yourself mm -hmm. and you have to be comfortable with yourself first. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, the second more practical piece of advice is, is I think really just ask yourself like what you want out of your relationships. Like, is it, is mm -hmm. it, is it really like, are you just lonely and you just want people to support you or like, like, what is the reason why you're looking for relationships? I think when I was looking for relationships and friendships because I was lonely like they didn't pan out because I wasn't interested in the relationships I was, mm, I was mm, interested the motivation in, yeah I was interested in filling something in in my soul <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I wanted someone to to like me I wanted someone to spend time with me right and that's that isn't conducive to relationship building genuinely one more thing that's consistent throughout like the whole conversation even about like university applications or like job applications is like if you feel like you don't fit into a certain social group don't be afraid to walk away because it will save you so much of like you know mental effort and also time learning how to be by yourself is very very important because it gives you it it gives you a foundation and that means like mm. if you're with people and you don't feel that great you can leave and it doesn't completely destroy you right <laughs> because you have yourself to go back to yeah yeah like knowing that you go for like, you know, like friends because you enjoy their company instead of like you need their company it gives you some mm -hmm. sort of assurance that, you know, I'm fine being with myself. But it's hard, you know, like like we are social social yeah. animals. So. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I'm saying it. it's a lot easier to say it when you're on the other side, right? It's a lot mm -hmm. easier to say, oh, like I'm only interested in these relationships because I don't need them when you don't need them and you have a good life. But if, but if you're very lonely and you're in a bad place and you don't have a good relationship with yourself it's a lot harder to do those things but um so that's why i'm saying like i think there's no real amount of like hard advice that that mm -hmm. like i can give to anyone besides like it'll get better like there will be a time mm -hmm. in which things start to fall into place and you have to be patient with yourself while it happens and i'm glad that you're doing very good right now you know with all the experiences that we have just mentioned I'm happy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> lucky again. Um, you're definitely very lucky. I'm your... <laughs> say, can I, can I say two things? <laughs> can I answer? Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I would say one, one is like, I think even though the pandemic was really hard and going into quarantine was hard, I think I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I think I have had a good relationship with myself um, mm. these past few months. And I think mm -hmm. um, being alone has been actually a source of joy for me. And so I don't mind staying at home. I don't mind, you know, not necessarily socializing as much as I normally do. And, and so I think I'm lucky because I think there, like last year and the year before, it, it was a lot harder for me to spend time by myself. Um, oh, and mm -hmm. so 
that's one thing is my mental health is better. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful to God for that. Um, and the second thing is I, you know, I, like I told you earlier, like I started a writing program that has been a great source of joy um, for me because just to have a craft to work on, um, mm-hmm. to be able to like f- see myself get better at something, to pour a lot of my energy and emotion in- into into a creative thing. So I think those two things, like my mental health and and honestly writing, are are pretty um, are, are pretty intertwined for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. very very lucky to have a good routine and a good relationship to both of those things. Even though like a lot of us have already you know started our full time job, it's definitely okay for us to start a side project like the Dapao podcast for me and the writing blog mm-hmm. for Amir. Like mm-hmm. if if you think that you're passionate about it, you should definitely just go ahead and start it instead of feeling like oh my god, like I really want to start something, but I'm doing my full time job. No, it's okay. You still can do both at the same time. But of course, you get pretty exhausted at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, it, it it can be a lot of work, and I'm sure for you, managing the podcast is a lot of work. But I think it's important to be a well rounded person with multiple interests and to de- de- be able to define yourself more than being just your job. Amir, share with us how can we stay connected with you and also of course the way that we can reach you uh, on your blogs my social media handle is my a-a-m-i-r-a-z-h at um, twitter instagram and facebook mm-hmm. and feel free to follow me or dm me again like i know a lot of advice happened here i'm always very willing to have a conversation um i in fact i prefer it more than giving advice is being able to talk to people through things so mm-hmm. if you're interested in my writing um yeah like i'm the program I started is is a is an MFA in creative writing fiction program. So I write fiction, and if you're interested in it, I would say message me or go to my blog, which is a a m i r a z h a r dot m e. So dot me amirazhar dot me. And I I don't update it that much, but I put a lot of my writing there. If you're curious, mm-hmm. um, or just okay. message me, and I'll share you all of my stuff. Mm-hmm. Go check Amir out on the social platforms that he just mentioned. Thank you so much, Amir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Dabao Podcast. I hope that you have enjoyed today's content. Don't forget to click on the subscribe button and stream all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Are you interested in becoming a part of this show? Drop me a DM on Instagram at jaida underscore ow. Stay healthy, stay safe. I'm Jada L from the Dabao Podcast, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.